Hi, you're listening to I'dRatherBeWriting.com. My name is Tom Johnson, and today I am reading a post. It's called How to Avoid Being a Secretary for Engineers. Here's a high-level summary of what I'm going to get into. If we just see our task as documenting solutions that engineers have solved, it removes the creativity and critical thinking dimension from TechCom. This creative dimension in TechCom comes into play as we identify and solve TechCom challenges and documentation problems such as devising ways to simplify complexity or otherwise improve the user experience. All right, let's get into the posts. Lately, I've been thinking about two types of knowledge, intellectual knowledge versus vocational knowledge, or rather critical inquiry versus technical how-to, or theoretical knowledge versus practical knowledge. In short, asking why versus asking how or what. I'm not entirely sure how to characterize the differences, but the difference in focus has contributed to some angst in my tech writing career lately. Rewind a bit to my previous posts on trends, uh, such as uh, the ones I've linked to here, and you'll find that I have been wrestling with the question of whether to be a generalist or a specialist. Now, regardless of any generalist or specialist outcomes based on research and what employers want, etc., it's hard to escape this one critical fact. You can't write without knowledge. Unless you have a more solid technical grounding, you just can't write about those topics very much. Consequently, in order to be a rock star technical writer, rather than just a supporting editor or publisher for SME contributors, subject matter expert contributors, you have to move into the technical knowledge domain to some extent, not necessarily becoming a specialist, but you have to accrue more understanding of the subject than a generalist might have. So with this realization, I decided to sink some dedicated time to simply learning technology every day. For a week at work, I decided that I would do three tech pomodoros at the start of each day. Now, pomodoro is just a 20-minute session of focused learning, and it's the approach I typically follow for learning tech. But given the many interruptions and needed emails to respond to, or meetings or fires to extinguish and so forth, I often wouldn't finish my three tech pomodoros until noon. And after a week of this, I found that my productivity sort of plummeted at work. It seemed like I, I, just, wasn't, I just wasn't accomplishing nearly the same as what I did previously. So I decided to put the tech learning on pause for a bit to catch up and make more progress on some high-priority documentation tasks. I threw myself headlong into documenting what was one of the more challenging tasks on my plate. But as much as I tried, I realized that it was an extremely complicated subject and not an easy one to make progress on. Since the requirements document that engineers gave me as a starting point assumed so much technical knowledge already, the documentation was really slow going. And it's challenging to write documentation for senior level engineers. Moreover, it's challenging to write about anything when you only have a partial knowledge of that thing. Presumably, the tech pomodoros I was doing should increase my knowledge for the needed, for the needed documentation, right? 
Well, the plan sounds good in theory, but in practice doesn't always work out. The documentation tasks at work require an advanced level of knowledge, which I can't just absorb from Google searches or other quick tutorials. I need the e-learning courses that build from ground zero and move up through novice and then intermediate and later to more advanced topics. Which brings me back to this dilemma about being a, a, a generalist or a specialist. In order to accrue the needed knowledge to be productive in authoring content or even just editing and structuring the content, I need to specialize my knowledge a bit more. Trying to write coherently about something I only partially understand is frustrating, though I guess this feeling captures much of the heart of what it means to be a technical writer. Mark Baker, Baker explained in a comment on a previous post I'd written about technical acuity that, quote, all professional technical communicators are, by definition, underqualified for the work they're doing. The best person for each individual job is the one who comes closest to the virtually unattainable combination of rhetorical and technical acuity and knowledge that each individual job requires, end quote. And why are technical writers unqualified? It depends on the level of complexity you're documenting, for sure. But for deeply complicated coding tasks in the developer domain, in other words, those topics intended for senior level engineers, the generalist technical writer's background will come up short. This is why I decided that if I want to both survive and thrive in developer documentation environments, I needed to step up my technical game by purposefully and deeply increasing my technical aptitude. Hence the regimen of, techn of uh, tech pomodoros that I was following each morning. The problem and angst, though, is realizing that the sort of technical knowledge I need isn't the kind of knowledge that excites me. I don't find vocational knowledge nearly as exciting as critical inquiry. I'm much more interested in why questions than how or what questions. Yet the tech learning focuses almost exclusively on how or what knowledge, how to build things from an engineering point of view, what a particular technology does, how you interact with it, etc. If restricted to how or what questions, technical writing is more of a sub-discipline under engineering than a focus in the humanities discipline of rhetoric. This dichotomy between these types of knowledge reminds me of a response someone provided to a recent survey I conducted. A while ago, I created a survey on my blog about practitioner and academic collaboration. One of my questions asked, do you trust advice academics might provide on professional practices, on theories that should guide action or some other factor? Why or why not? Here's what one of the respondents said. Quote, for the most part, I've trusted advice from academics when it related to research findings, although they don't have the same perspective as me because I'm in the real world and they're outsiders just talking about a world of which they don't belong. For example, an academic told me that graduate school promoted arguments and graduate students need to learn to disagree. In the real world, also known as the professional world, 
Arguing with others and disagreeing does not help the business. Instead, we need to work together to identify what's best for the business. As tech writers, we need to find ways to add value, but we don't need to waste time disagreeing with others to develop, quote, interesting conversations. That's not why we're brought on board. Clearly, that academic's perspective did not reflect business sense. So I trust their advice, but I know enough to know that they could influence me to do something that's not in my best interest professionally. End quote. In short, when the respondent says graduate students need to learn to disagree, he or she is saying academics invite students to think critically and challenge assumptions. This is the general direction of knowledge in the academia, moving towards openness, asking questions, investigating assumptions, distrusting the motives and agendas, showing how seemingly simple ideas are more complex or how complex ideas are actually simple, etc. Bonus points if you can deconstruct someone's logic and show how the premises are all a paradox. That it's exactly this kind of critical thinking that I learned to love. It's why I majored in English and later earned an MFA in literary nonfiction writing. I remember once during my MFA program, I decided to write an essay by digging as deeply as possible into a seemingly trivial topic. I would start at some benign point and then begin, begin asking questions and more questions and more questions to see how interesting of a direction I could, could go. At times, it was exhilarating to see the different topics and trajectories play out and then equally challenging to figure out how to present and structure the journey in a literary essay. As I taught composition to undergraduate students, I came up with a formula for a thesis statement that was guaranteed to work pretty much every time. When students turned in essays that had boring, obvious thesis statements, I suggested that they revise them with this approach. Quote, although many people think X, actually Y is the case, end quote. And this forced students to think in unconventional ways, to value looking from different, less commonly held perspectives, and to explore alternatives to the norm. In some ways, I think this mindset captures the essence of the humanities academic perspective. All too often, I feel like this element of critical thinking is missing from the document projects, is missing from the documentation projects in the workplace. Instead of critical inquiry, that thought journey has already been taken by the product team and engineering group. The product team analyzed the market need and came up with a product solution. The engineers applied their minds to determine the best way to build the project, the product. They might have evaluated different information system models, different code languages and approaches, and more. When they finish, they feel that the creative solution has been achieved. What's left is merely to document the solution. And that's when they reach out to me to come in after the thinking has been done to merely describe what was built. Here is where technical writing can become a very boring career. If my only task is to document the solution, where's the fun in that? Where's the critical journey, the inquiry, and the adventure in figuring out the puzzle? Where is my ability to disagree? as I learned in graduate school. What assumptions can I challenge? How can I interrogate a topic and ask my own questions? 
This mindset and scenario of just documenting the solution makes tech writing a chore and a profession that would be best titled engineering secretary. It's suffocating for someone with a creative mind. Well, if that is the extent of a tech com career, this would be a very short and sad post. However, I believe this short sells the tech com profession in significant ways. In reality, technical writers have a problem to solve as well. Why take a certain approach rather than some other? Why aren't more users adopting the product or having success with the implementation? How should we communicate this very complicated information in easy to understand ways? These are questions engineers rarely consider, but they should be the problem that technical writers wrestle with. Let's return back to the requirements document I was trying to make sense of earlier. Engineers laid out the basic information users would need to know, and they hoped that I could just run with this information and make it understandable for users to implement. But not only is there a vast difference between a requirements document and user documentation, even as a requirements document, the information was, information was barely readable, not just poorly worded sentences, but no sense of organization around implementation tasks. The document was heavy with jargon, assumptions all over the place, no sense of audience or structure, and other issues such as lengthy bullet point after bullet point, sub bullets and sub sub bullets. It's the kind of document that only makes sense to people who have already been meeting for months and discussing this content in person. As a technical writer, it's easy for me to forget this creative component to my job, figuring out how to present complex information, asking why I should take certain approaches rather than others. Could it really be that Figuring this conundrum out is just as complex as the technical solution, in other words, the product itself. It depends on the degree of complexity behind the information for sure. But for a really meaty technical task or implementation, creating the documentation might be a significant, significantly challenging project worthy of its own study and critical inquiry. Think about how often documentation fails for users. It might fail due to the varying technical backgrounds of users, the jargon in the technical domain, the many permutations and options around configuration, the contrasting business goals among users, and more. Creating documentation that simplifies what is truly complicated for users can be a real puzzle. And this is part of the reason why I started a whole series on simplifying complexity. It is no trivial task to make complex information in the technical domain simple for users to understand and follow. Beyond just working with words and sentences and structure and organization, we also bring to bear our publishing expertise to execute on solutions to the problem of simplifying complexity. This is why I, I dive into publishing tools and techniques more than most technical writers. Why I can geek out on Jekyll. It's not just that I like authoring tools and publishing workflows. It's because I use authoring and publishing tools in service of my larger goal of simplifying complexity. For example, in unraveling this documentation challenge I'm currently working on, there are large chunks of code. I realize that it would be really handy to include line numbers in the code samples 
so that I could refer to different parts of the code during the conceptual explanations. But how do you get line numbers to appear in your code samples? It's not immediately simple. I mean, even GitHub does not support line numbers in code. I learned how to use the line nose parameter with Jekyll's highlight tag, but the rendered HTML for pre-blocks included tables, of all things, and it was a mess to sort out with CSS. The PDF version of line-numbered code with line wraps was a hopeless wash, but the online version worked well enough. At any rate, I bring this expertise with publishing tools and technologies, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, to assist me in the challenges around simplifying complexity. And in fact, I have a whole section on section on hiding complexity through various techniques in my simplifying complexity series. All right, I, I wish that, that my shift in mindset from having a, quote, solution to document to seeing a, quote, documentation problem to solve would be all that's needed to move back into the the more creative realm of critical inquiry, where I'm asking why questions and exploring theory and ideas. Unfortunately, the problem is more complicated, which I admit is a conclusion that I'm almost predetermined to make. Regardless of the amount of critical inquiry I might expend, the value of this critical inquiry will likely be overlooked. If overlooked, my workplace will not likely grant me the time or resources to engage in the critical inquiry. In the most recent issue of Communication Design Quarterly, Jennifer Mallet and Megan Gurk, ha, or Gurky, have an interesting article called Theory to Practice, Negotiating Expertise for New Technical Communicators. The article focuses on the experience of Megan, who is both a former student and also the co-author of the article. The gist of the article is that Megan's training in Boise's Master of Arts in Technical Communication program led her to believe that her expertise in techcom would be valued in the workplace in the same way engineers are valued for their expertise. She thought exchanges between tech writers and engineers would be made from a position of equality, where Megan's decisions and recommendations about content and communication would be valued and acted upon in the same way as an engineer's decisions and recommendations are valued and acted upon. After all, this is how she was treated as a budding technical writer in the program. Different types of SMEs, that's all. Unfortunately, she found that this wasn't the case in the workplace. Instead, she was a second-class citizen. Subject matter expertise was a status not available for technical writers who are basically secretaries or scribes in the organization. Anyone could challenge or dismiss the technical writer's decisions about content as the product owner or engineer ultimately owned the content and carried the authority. Megan had to frequently argue for the rationale behind her decisions, often, often presenting competitors' documentation to show similar approaches. The authors explain, quote, in some instances, no matter how a technical communicator works to build up credibility in SME status, product owners and SMEs can quickly override a recommendation. Although frustrating, Megan recognizes that the most she can do in these instances is assert her reasons for revisions, reference any available data, and state that she isn't aligned with the decision as a way to continue, her, continue to assert her expertise, end quote.
This, quote, power hierarchy, where, quote, communicators are viewed as support or secondary, end quote, is somewhat pervasive in the profession. It seems that very few engineers and PMs are willing to respect technical writers as a SME. Additionally, Megan found that in the workplace, rather than taking more active lead roles in content creation, such as partnering on prototype design, technical writers played more passive secondary roles, receiving and waiting on information from SMEs. The authors point to other research that finds similar experiences in the workplace. Research from Miles Kimball in 2015 also found that, quote, technical communicators are limited to roles as scribes or a matter of writing things down other people say rather than being involved in more strategic decisions about product development, end quote. Now, Kimball's research size was small, just six people, but they were part of STC's advisory council, so presumably they were more informed, informative participants. Basically, even if you are you are even if you value solving documentation problems, others in the workplace will still treat you as a scribe and consider that you're performing a low value task almost on par with the janitor's changing of your trash can. Something that must surely be done, but which is not by any means a task a task that would require a creative, intellectually engaged mind or other inquisitive focus. And you certainly don't need more than one janitor to empty all the trash cans in the building. That tech writers suffer from questions of value in the workplace is nothing new. And coming back to my original angst, why should I care whether outsiders to techcom view or value the intellectual activity behind documentation? Couldn't I just geek out on the rhetorical options and decisions around information design, content, architecture, and structure to my heart's content? My creative energy will find a home, so what do I care if others dismiss my work as trivial secretarial labor? I'm not looking for pats on the back and spotlight moments at all-hands meetings, but there is a cost to devaluation of any activity in the workplace. If tech writing isn't a challenging task, then why do you need so many tech writers? Couldn't you just get by with two tech technical writers, even for an IT group of more than 800 engineers? As such, you may find yourself constantly under pressure to push out content, like the employees at In-N-Out who are rapidly compiling orders for an endless line of hungry people in cars. So even though I might not care how others value my task and role, that devaluation will likely impact me. Now, what will, what will help tech writers establish value in the workplace? As I said, this is a long-standing question in the tech comm profession with no conclusive answers, but I do think there are some productive directions to consider. In articulating value amid persistent misconceptions about technical and professional communication in the workplace, Emily January Peterson argues that, quote, the expertise of practitioners may be unknown to colleagues. Technical communicators must make that visible, end quote. Much more could be said, but this is the essence of how to increase value. Make visible the intellectual work you are doing. If there are ever was a story behind my blogging success, it's this. I make my knowledge visible through my blog. 
Not for a second do I believe that I'm smarter or more experienced or more knowledgeable than 90% of the people out there in the tech comm community. But stack me next to anyone for a job, and most of the time employers are won over by my blog. My blog makes my knowledge visible. It makes me visible. How then do I take this same technique for visibility and value and apply it to the workplace? Without overthinking things here, I could simply write about my critical analytical dilemmas and decisions and share that with those around me that I want to influence. Maybe it's a newsletter or an email list where there's lots of chatter or even an internal corporate blog. It shouldn't matter as long as I take the time to articulate what I'm doing and thinking and trying. There might be other solutions, and maybe my background as a blogger writer makes me see writing and blogs as the solution to every problem, but why wouldn't this work? Let's wrap things up. In this profession of technical communication... There are many times where I feel my greatest challenge is in learning the technology. It's easy to forget that my role is not merely dictation and transcription or being a kind of secretary for engineers. My role is to figure out how to communicate the complexity in the best possible way and why to take why we take certain rhetorical approaches for the user experience we want. As long as I keep focused on the challenges and difficulties in solving documentation problems rather than just documenting the technical solution, my creative mind won't feel suffocated. And as long as I constantly articulate the intellectual journeys I'm pursuing as I deliberate about rhetorical decisions, user experiences, and solutions to documentation problems, uh, as I articulate these to my workplace colleagues, I'll hopefully maintain the value and status I need in the workplace to continue with the needed bandwidth and resources in this direction. All right, that is the end of this post. If you would like to take a short survey to provide your input on the ideas in this post, uh, you can. I am starting to do these surveys because I find the responses very, very valuable. Here's just a sample of the questions. There are only five, or here's the extent of them. Have you ever felt that that you're merely documenting solutions and that the creative analytical work has already been done and celebrated by others? Do engineers sometimes see documentation as an afterthought, not as a problem to solve worthy in itself? How do you articulate and communicate the critical analysis and other more creative decision-making you do in the workplace to those around you? Will writing and sharing more of your techcom thoughts with others influence them to feel more value toward your role and tasks? And what type of documentation projects excite you the most? Uh, all right. You can read more at idratherbewriting.com. You can subscribe uh, through a variety of podcast methods and even now on Alexa. Again, my name is Tom Johnson. Thanks for listening.